Grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied abundantly unto you all through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Good Father, we come to you today with all sincerity, but yet that is not enough. We need to know the truth, and we thank you that you teach us the truth of why we are here, the purpose of our lives, and what is of ultimate value. And sometimes, well, more than sometimes, we get that mixed up. Help us not to get deceived, but to know the truth, so that the truth will indeed set us free to live and love the way you intended us to. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You can open your Bible. There's a Bible in every pew, one. But if you want to fight over it, that would be great. But you can open up the Bible in your pew to Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And the passage will also be up on the screen. Some of it will. So a man runs up to Jesus. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Most teachers recognize the technique. You know, get on the good side of the teacher with a little praise. But it was too much for Jesus, so Jesus disarms him. Why do you call me good? Next, like a good teacher, Jesus called the man to draw upon his own resources to answer his own question, to reflect on his own training, what he had learned for himself. You know the commandments, and he did. And he had kept them from his youth, he said. Really? This man seemed sincere, pious. He had attempted to live not by his own rules, but by the rules of God. Still living by the rules had left him empty and perhaps searching for more meaning in life. Being good was not good enough. The man sensed that there was more, but what? What other achievement could he reach? How about eternal life? For many of us, life is not so much a gift as a matter of setting goals and achieving them. Life for many of us, is something to be accomplished, something we plan and go after. The man had met his own goals. Matthew tells us that he was young. Luke tells us that he was a ruler. And all three of them make sure they tell us that he was rich. In the process, he had remained his own master, his own judge, and his own Lord, but still not the master of his own destiny. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Hmm. Now, I thought an inheritance was a gift. This illustrates a problem for all of us especially for those who are gifted, 
or wealthy? When we are too much into ourselves and what we have and what we have accomplished, there's a problem. Jesus points that out. Jesus sees that in this young man. And instead of applauding him, Jesus looks at the man and loved him. Jesus looked at the man and loved him. The word for love is agape. This is the highest form of love. It's a love of concern, a love that sees and comprehends another's needs. It wants ultimately what's best for them and then takes action, even sacrificial action if necessary, to help them. His heart went out to this man. Jesus had compassion on him. Jesus took pity on him. He didn't praise him. Oh, what a self-made man you are. Jesus saw something in this man that maybe others couldn't see. Something that maybe the man himself could not see. But this man was not a fraud, he was sincere. And that's why this story is so chilling. Because this rich young man could very easily be you or me. We are all very well off compared to the rest of the world's population. We are achievement oriented. Jesus sees something in us that we often can't see in ourselves. And that is sin. The deceptive nature of sin, as the book of Hebrews calls it, not so easy to see. And for this rich young ruler and for us, the sin that Jesus wants to free us from is the sin of greed and selfishness, and that becomes clear in this story. So Jesus attempts to free him from his bondage with an analysis followed by five imperatives. One thing you lack, that is the analysis. So you've done a very good job for yourself, very moral, very driven, very successful, very sincere. But one thing you lack. And that's what I love about Jesus. He can see right through people and he can see what they need, which maybe we sometimes have a hard time seeing the needs of others. And then he gives the man the solution to what he lacks. The imperatives, go, sell, give, come, follow. The imperatives. 
the commands are interrupted by a promise, you will have treasure in heaven. And you could almost hear the man thinking, the wheels in his brain turning. All the stuff he owned. This enormous slideshow in his head of everything he owns and maybe worked hard to get and to hold on to. And so when Jesus challenged him, all he could think of was himself, for he had much wealth. And there lies the problem. And there lies the sin and the deception of wealth that had slowly crept into his life and he didn't even realize it. Jesus intended this to be a moment of great liberation, but the man did not hear it that way. Jesus intended to meet his deepest need, his deepest longing. The man's life appeared to be a dream come true, but there was something wrong and the man couldn't see it. There was an idol located at the center of his life. And it was so firmly in place he could not or he would not get rid of it. When Jesus told him to go sell, give, come, follow, the man was shocked, his countenance fell, and he went away very sad because he had great wealth. For the moment, the idol of wealth, the idol of money, the idol of self, the idol of greed had won. It's a chilling story. By every standard in the world, you and I are very rich. But you have to ask yourself now today after hearing this story, are you also selfish and greedy? If Jesus asked you to go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, how would you react? Let's be honest here. That's what church is all about. We all get to be honest in the face and in the presence of a God who sees and knows every little bit of who we are. He knows us all too well because he made us. This is what church is all about. And we're all in this together. We all battle a sinful self. And this is a good place to be real and vulnerable and truthful and needful. If I come to Jesus and ask for something, which I do all the time, is he going to suggest radical surgery? If this is the way Jesus treats the ones he loves, am I able to handle such love? Does he really know what's better for me than I know myself? This is what it means to trust in the God of our salvation. The answer is yes, he created us. 
You see, we have a Savior who looks beyond our faults and sees our needs. He loves you and me so much, he wants us in heaven with him. Think about that for a minute. He created us, intricately formed us in our mother's womb, fearfully and wonderfully made. We're reminded of that with the little children that are brought forward today. And he so wants us, each and every one of us, to live in paradise, in heaven, forever with him. And if that means cutting off that which might hinder us, then so be it. Remember, we heard about that a few weeks ago. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than two hands to go to hell. That's how much our Savior loves us. God wants to get rid of sin in your life because it's a hindrance to our entrance into his presence, his holiness. There's no sin in heaven. So you got to get rid of it here. That's why we call heaven paradise, where God ultimately wants you and I to spend eternity. Jesus uses this encounter to teach the disciples and us an important lesson. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, be careful. Wealth can be so deceptive. Wealth is a good thing. It makes us feel good. It makes us feel comfortable. It shelters us. It makes us feel secure. It gives us identity. And it gives our lives meaning. Hey, I've got to keep working so that I can take care of all this stuff that I've accumulated. Wealth can give our life meaning, right? And there's another question you can ask yourself. Am I spending most of my life taking care of my stuff when maybe I should be taking care of people? Isn't that the question Jesus wanted the rich young ruler to ask himself? And isn't that a good question for you and I to ask? Security, identity, meaning. Wait a minute. Isn't that what God is to be for us? Isn't God supposed to be our provider? Isn't God supposed to take care of us? That's what we pray for in the Our Father. He's to be our security, our shelter in the time of storm, we sing. Our go-to guy when life starts to hurt. Isn't God supposed to give us identity? We're made in the image of God, the Bible tells us. We're his children. And is not God supposed to give our lives meaning? Have I not commanded you, love one another as I have loved you? The answer is yes, yes, yes. Then why do we try and find those things in something else? You see what is happening here. The devil's up to his old tricks. He's feeding us a lie about wealth. He's getting us to believe that it will provide for us what we need in life, security, identity, and meaning. So we go chasing after wealth. 
perhaps the most dangerous aspect of greed in our day is that it is assumed and it has become completely acceptable. It's okay to be greedy. It's okay to be self-seeking. It's the nature of the business. It's the survival of the fittest. And so, we no longer see greed as a sin. And that's scary. And the writer of the book of Hebrews warns us not to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hardened to the needs of others? Hardened to the purpose for which you were created to love others, not yourself? The deceitfulness of sin. It's everywhere. That's one reason we come to church and hear God's word. It's a way of pointing out the truth. The things that we may not so easily see. The word of God. The law of God is like a mirror. It really is. It helps us to see ourselves as we really are. And that is what is happening to this rich, young ruler. And he didn't like what he saw. He didn't, he didn't even look up. And he went away sad. And Jesus promised him treasure in heaven and a life free from the burden of sin. Free from the rat race of keeping up with the Joneses and all the effort to care for and protect all that wealth. And all he could think of was himself because that is what his purpose had become. And he didn't even realize it. Wealth, reputation, achievement, popularity, family, friends, wisdom, knowledge, ourselves. These things are all good, but they're all created things. And if we elevate them to the place of God in our lives, in other words, if we expect them to give us what only God can give, security, identity, meaning, and purpose, then guess what? They will fail because they don't have the power to do that. They are not the creator, and that is really what idolatry is. When we expect created things to give us security, identity, meaning, and purpose, what we feel we need to make us happy Well, they won't make us happy. Maybe for a moment, but that's the deception. They won't make us happy and fulfilled for a lifetime, an eternal lifetime. Only God can do that, and that's why we pursue God. We worship Him. We listen to Him. We follow Him, and we rejoice and praise Him. Because only in him are we truly fulfilled and truly happy, completely secure, totally his children, and our lives are now have real meaning and purpose to love one another as he loved us. 
The challenge to rid ourselves of our greed and our idols is not intended to be sad. It's meant to be a joyful and freeing experience. It is only when we want to hang on to our idols and when we love them more than God that we become, that our idols become a burden. And when that happens, we too go away sorrowful. Money, wealth, I mean, it's a great servant, but a horrible master. In the Gospel according to Luke, this story shows up in the Gospel according to Luke too, but guess what follows in the next chapter? It's another story of a rich man. His name was Zacchaeus. Yeah. A man who hears the call of Jesus and gives up the idols of his life. So it can happen. And Zacchaeus doesn't go away sorrowful. He doesn't even go away. He becomes generous and caring. He found security in the presence of his Savior. He found identity as a friend of the Savior. He found meaning and purpose outside of himself. He learned to love others, for God had loved him. What a great story. Two stories of two rich guys with two very different endings. How will you respond to the grace and love of God? God comes to all of us with his abundant love and grace. He knows we cannot save ourselves. So he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and die on the cross for our sins and then to rise again to give us eternal life. He sent Jesus to be our Savior, our only Savior. Do we know that? Our Lord calls us to rid ourselves of all that hinders our reception of his amazing grace. Any thought that we might somehow save ourselves or contribute to our salvation with man, salvation is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Amen.